Gaming and BS episode 177 coming to you Wednesday, February 7th, 2018. Welcome to Gaming MBS. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Glad you're all on board. Woo! Rest, restful weekend for you, Sean? Anything crazy happened? Nothing? Nothing crazy. Just mellow stuff? Recorded an episode of Pound Hood. Did you? Are you ready for it today, or was this for next episode? We're going to do it next week. Awesome. Very cool. Next week. Yeah. It's cool that, as you're digging into it, I mean, we both knew that would happen, right? Is that someone, you'll put one up and people will be like, hey, there's some more stuff. There's just tons of cool shit like that going on out there. It's really, really neat. Indeed. Honestly, wasn't aware of a lot of it until guys like Pierre Mongrel started writing in and talking to us about just things they're doing um, that, that fit the Paladin Hood theme. So it's kind of neat. Very, very cool. Yeah. Anyway, let's see here. Uh, announcements, we're still going to GaryCon. I'm still not going to Origins. Um, other than that, anything new, Sean? Any, any new con or anything you're going to? Anything big, crazy? No. No? All right. We're just still who we are. We are. Nothing drastic has changed. Nothing. All right. Let's random encounter it up. Random encounter. All right. Got a lot this week. Yeah, we seem to have gotten some people thinking, so it's kind of cool. I'll start Indeed. off. I'll start off here. We got Crimfan commented <coughs> about sanity check. Good episode, guys. Tracking alignment in one e had sanity consequences in a deep in a deeply mechanical uh, game mechanical way. You could lose XP due to the moral conundrums. Humanity in Vampire the Masquerade is essentially a sanity type mechanic as well. Very good point, Crimfan. I should have freaking mentioned that. I can't believe it didn't. Several other White Wolf games had various sanity esque mechanics. The player sensitivity issue. Yeah, I'm glad you guys talked about that. There are some folks who really shouldn't get pushed too far into into that or for whom it strikes way too close at home. I know you guys are sensitive to this, but I'm really glad you mentioned it and pushed the point about offering options. I've seen the consequences when a player who had some quote-unquote dark side show up too, just as you said, and have felt some emotional bleed myself too. So basically, like emotional bleed, family issues, any R-rated stuff, etc., be really careful. I also 100% agree about the fact that a metagame helps immersion, but also the fact that it can uh, help for someone who might have issues uh, be a bit more aware slash less blindsided. That's cool. I didn't, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I still can't believe I didn't mention the White Wolf stuff, though. That's just stupid of me. Anyway, thank you, Crim Fan. Good shit, man. Yeah, thanks, Crim Fan. Over to you, sir. All right. So we had a few uh, chime in on Google the Pluses. And you can find those at the Google The Plus. We'll have a link in the show notes. First one starting off, Jared Rasher kicks kicks the kicks the discussion off early in a lot of our threads. Thanks, Jared. I think if I were creating something from the ground up, I'd probably go with some uh, something like stability, where going past your stability threshold caused you to short term lose your actions and long term to pick up a very specific quirk. Not unlike taking a specific critical injury off of a chart to avoid any kind of unintentional mapping to a real ongoing mental health issue. Also, I like the idea of a GM getting a limited 
spendable resource to pay out a set number of times to take control of the player for a limited time. I like this approach because if it is a spendable resource, there is a limit to what the GM is going to do with that resource, so the player doesn't have an ongoing fear of losing agency with that character. No mention of Shadow of the Demon Lord? Has neither Sean nor Brett checked this out yet? I am aghast. You struck me more as a ghoul, really. hey No mention of... <laughs> going back to Jared. No mention of Shadow of the Demon Lord? Has neither Sean nor Brett checked this out yet? I am aghast. Also, I look forward to seeing Brett's RPG where you can see your sanity, but not your hit points. I actually think that'd be kind of fun. You can see how crazy you are, but you have no idea... You have no idea how healthy you are. You just, you know, you're crazy though. So that would be fun. So, um, Jared, there's actually, when you say the, um, uh, character agency, going back to crim fan statement of the old, uh, world of darkness stuff, the original vampire, of the masquerade had a deal, um, where once you lost all your humanity, what would happen is then you basically hand your character over and you just kind of go crazy <laughs> and the character and the game master did whatever they wanted to with them essentially. I have not been able to check out Shadow of the Demon Lord yet. It's on my list of things to buy or to get a PDF copy of. It just ha- I just haven't taken the time to do it. I, I need to because I think it's probably right up my alley. Sure. Have you you haven't read it yet either? Have you? I have not. I've gone over this, man. I don't need. I need like another fantasy RPG. Like I need a freaking hole in the head. <laughs> Yeah, that's very true. But, I'm sure it's a great game. I mean, I love Rob. I love, I, I'm, you know, there's nothing but good things I've heard from it. But I'll tell you what, though. I really, I'm starting to think now what I need to do more is, we mentioned this before, is getting PDFs of things instead of hardcovers. And I think that's a really good way. Some of the PDFs can be a little on the pricey side, but it's a good way to support a creator, but not you know, lose an arm and a leg in shelf space or, uh, or you know, all the cash out the door. But anyway, good stuff. Thank you, sir. Um, on to Mo Tusano. Long before the internet and the term facepalm, we used, we used to have the head desk rule in Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. If the GM presented you with a scene or some information that made you have a dough moment, which was usually followed by putting your head down on the table or slapping your forehead or clutching your face, you gained one insanity point. Nowadays, I would call this the facepalm rule. I gave out more insanity points this way than through anything else. <laughs> I like that. That's very cool. That's very funny. <laughs> I love it. Every time the player goes, oh, my God, I can't believe. Done. Bam. Throw a chip at him or whatever. I like it. Very cool. Thank you, Mo. Your turn, Sean. Robert Nemeth. Nemeth? Nemeth? Robert N. New listener here. <laughs> Thanks for the interesting podcast. Glad to know you guys are just down, up the road for me. I live in Stevens Point. Hey. That's a half hour from my hometown. It's crazy. Indeed. In case you are unaware, there is an insanity mechanic for 5e besides what is in the DMG. Fail Squad Games released the Lands of Lunacy setting in 2016, which includes insanity points. Lands of Lunacy are pocket dimensions that can be assessed by lunar gates and are surrounded by the Chaos Void. The proximity to the Chaos Void strains sanity. 
Out of game, the Lands of Lunacy is intended to play as a side quest when some of your gaming group doesn't show up. The players that do get transported to some pocket dimension have to complete some tasks to get back to the material plane, and then next game, everything starts back right at the same time before the diversion to the Lands of Lunacy. Dang, just in time. <laughs> Brett's over there trying to stop sneezing and coughing all over the place. No, th this is cool. I forgot about Lands of Lunacy. It fail squad games. That is uh, Lloyd Metcalf. Lloyd is a cool dude. We've had him as a special guest at EverCon. I know he comes to GameholeCon regularly. I missed talking to him this last one, but that's good stuff. I forgot all about Lands of Lunacy. Damn, I think I actually have something that I bought from Lloyd when he was at EverCon last year. I'm going to have to go dig through my collection. Anyway, carry on. All right. Um, Let's see, where was I? Ah, the mechanic for insanity is like hit points and works like this. Sanity points equals wisdom score plus three times level. Various effects subtract sanity. When you get close to zero points, you start to suffer temporarily, temporary insanity depending on a die roll on a table. The severity of insanity progresses with more losses to sanity points up to permanent insanity. Most of the table entries are RP. Uh, example, cannibalism, desire to eat only humanoid flesh but some involve mechanics, like attacking nearest creature. Finally, if you're interested in what my point campaign is like, here's a link to my blog of my campaign journal. We'll have a link in the show notes to Very that. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I knew that this... <coughs> excuse me. I, I knew the sanity thing has been answered in a number of different ways, obviously. I mean, I forgot completely about Fail Squad games and, and whatnot, but this... It's, I'm, Robert, I'm glad you brought that up, because it's always... I like stealing stuff from other games, systems, or mechanics that work, and uh, see what see what I can wedge them into where I need them to need them to fit. So that's really cool. Very cool. All right, Cal Winter commented to us on Facebook. He said, "I like to write conflicting notes to players, telling them what they see, hear, feel, etc., and let them re react to each other's different experiences. Or sometimes I'll ignore mechanics for a character. For example, you hit the creature, but it doesn't notice, or the fire doesn't hurt at all, and then explain the repercussions later." Make for interesting shenanigans and often creates paranoia among the group. And Kyle, that is one of um that's a fun thing to do is just tell the person you you know the fire hits you, but you don't hurt, you don't feel any damage. Really? Yeah, nothing. Wow, it's you're like you're Superman. The rest of the party's looking at you and you're literally on fire. <laughs> and but you're not reacting. Your clothes are burning, your skin is melting. Your character that is, of course. And um the other characters are like, dude, what's wrong with you? Nothing, cool, it's fine. Don't feel anything. Cause you're nuts. I love that idea. Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> I like that. Good stuff there. Very good. Hidden Hit Points, James Carruthers emails us. Good day, Brett and Sean. Long time, no right. Just lots of real life taking up all my time. But I'm always keeping up with your podcast. As always, thanks for keeping up all your good work. Regarding episode 175, Hidden Hit Points, you ask, Cool concept or sheer madness? To which I reply, both. I think it's kind of a cool concept, but Brett definitely takes it to the brink of madness. Actually, he may have fallen off the precipice with this one. <laughs> one of the best moments in the podcast was the bicycle analogy when Sean described what was Brett, Brett was doing as, quote, trying to get the art to do what the gears are made to do, end quote. At that point, I was totally with Sean. Brett had gone too far. He was over the edge. 
He'd lost it. Sorry, man. However, Sean's confession of I was hypocrisy. Waiting, I, was actually, I was actually waiting for you to ignore the, the however, Sean's confession. I was waiting for you to ignore that entire. It's, skip it's, right it's a over small that. paragraph. It's only a couple sentences. I was waiting for you to skip it. Anyway, carry on. Yeah. However, Sean's confession of hypocrisy was also apropos. I think there's a sweet spot somewhere in the middle, at least for me. You mentioned 4th edition introduction of the term bloody. Back when 4th edition came out and our group got into it, I was DM and I fully embraced the term bloody. Took it a step further, too, as per the suggestion of the bloody rule. I would never tell the players the hit points of their enemies, although I would embellish with additional description, descriptors, descriptors, which I'm sure Brett would approve of, as well as expand the term to, quote, really bloody, bloodied from many wounds, bruised and visibly concussed, you hear the crunch of crushed bone. Blood is gushing everywhere, etc. Uh, to help the players know when they were significantly past the initial bloodying of the monster. Furthermore, I wouldn't let the players meta-communicate their hit points to each other. I was very strict about this. Role player injuries so your healer takes notice. I would insist. Then it would be up to the healer to make the judgment call as to who to spend healing resources on and when. It also had the effect of highlighting who the crybabies in the party were and who was more stoic. Sometimes the PC crying the loudest wasn't necessarily the lowest on HP. A little rule, coupled with insisting on descriptive hit hints, descriptive hits, and spellcasting really helped keep the game dramatic and immersive without the need for a lot of under-the-hood tinkering as Brett is wont to do. Hmm. Yeah. I would further admonish Brett to take a hard look at the existing rules and make the most of them before deciding to overhaul stuff and start jamming Sean's gear with his artsy interventions. (laughs) That may be my favorite sentence of the entire evening. For example, Brett mentioned things like ripping the shield off the PC. Go for it. See PHB page 74, disarming attack, and don't step on the toes of the fighter. I hate it when someone wants to make a new rule for all players to jump on when it happens to be specific shtick of a particular class. There are numerous fighter maneuvers that when all when when well role played can have many of the effects Brett seemed to be looking for. As for the rest of the party, they all have their own specialties that can really bring the drama when well role played. Reckless attack, sneak attack, flurry of blows, etc. etc. You need only insist they describe it. Plus there are all of the other actions in combat, like shoving, grappling, dodging, disengaging, as well as using damage types of weapons and spells to help inform your descriptions. I don't simply let players say, I cast Ray of Frost at him. To that, I reply, really? What's that look like? Describe yourself. Describe your target. What happens when you do that? RP it, man. And don't forget to award inspiration when the RP is good. Plus, there are a number of other really awesome drama-enhancing play factors you can glean from the DMG, such as on pages 72 to 73, overrun, shove aside, tumble, hitting cover, cleaving through creatures, lingering injuries, system shock for massive damage. Quick aside, the lingering injuries can seem severe, but be brave. Delim your PCs, I say. One of the most <laughs> memorable characters from AD&D in my childhood was created when the DM attacked my paladin, with a stone golem that was wielding a sword of sharpness. He rolled the dice fairly and pulled no punches. He cut off my paladin's shield arm. I had to play 
old one arm the paladin for several more levels before the dm allowed me to finally find a ring of regeneration that grievous lingering injury made my character very special to me and i remember him still decades later my current group has made some pretty fun and dramatic use of the additional combat options in the DMG. They're fairly small, mechanically simple, and easy to grasp in the context of our existing gaming styles and habits. But if you add just a few and keep encouraging good RP, then they can add a lot of vibrancy and color to your game. We already have lots, of, lots to play with right at our fingertips, but sometimes we get lazy or forget to properly play up the stuff that's already built into the game. Good RP takes reminders and encouragement, not heavy-handed rules modifications, in my humble opinion. Thanks, guys. All the best. James Carruthers, Sunshine Coast, British Columbia. I think James may have smacked me down in the most politest Canadian way possible. <laughs> Those <laughs> guys, man, even when they tear into you, they're super nice. Yeah, because if I read through this, I'm like, damn. So, James, fair points. Um I actually have back on my reading stack to go through and reread all of my 5e stuff. Um cuz I know there's I know there's snippets and pieces and parts within there that I'm not using. And uh Sean and I have talked about this before. <coughs> Excuse me, most likely I think more off the mics than on. But yeah, some of these game systems I, I in the past I'm like, "Oh man, it's just I wish I had this thing." And somebody who's much more savvy in rules will look at me sagely and say, "Brett, usually with the parenthetical, you dumbass, it's right here in the DMG page, whatever. So I am thankful, honestly, James, that you that you called this out. So this is just more ammo for me to go and dig through those components of it. That is cool. One thing I will say, James, though, if I recall, first edition AD&D, unless your Game Master ruled it differently, um, if that would have happened to me and I would have found the Ring of Regeneration, I'd have still been fucked because it would have been, oh, you only begin regeneration starting now once you have the ring on if you lost your arm my game master would have let me grow the arm back otherwise he said no 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 that was gone that was long gone before you even got the ring so you're still boned that's what would have happened to me <laughs> your your dm would have done that to you brett or yeah. you would have had had done that no that was that DM. was that was how i learned to play ad and d ah. if that happened to you and it was a wound you'd already sustained like a permanent wound you'd already sustained and you got a ring of regeneration the uh, your boned moment was still a thing. I see. Yeah, it's adversarial jamming, man. <gasps> oh boy. Oh, oh, it's like a hint. Oh, hello, teaser. All right, Edwin Eggy emailed us on hidden hit points, and he's calling BS, of course. Oh, great. Let's, <laughs> great. Let's hear this one. Let's see how bad Brett is. I'm a little behind, <laughs> but I just listened to Brett's thoughts on, on getting rid of hit points. Well, I don't agree. You, Brett, Sean, were too vague for me to... I don't agree with you, Brett. Sean was too vague for me to agree with him either. I, so I can live with that. My it, tactics work. <laughs> it's too vague. <laughs> you can either disagree or agree with Sean. I think there are two possible problems with what you suggest. Either you're going to play a game like D&D... Uh, with players who know it, in which case some parallel system will develop. The players will understand that when the GM says X, their player has uh, has blown uh, blown through uh, like one fourth of hit points left. Um, gamers will be gamers. If if they are the type to abandon combat because of hit point numbers, they will continue to do so. You're just replacing a numerical system with a word based system, like bloodied. The other option that you mold about reality was, was nutty, and that it really sounded like you are eliminating. Not the talking about hit points, but the actual existence. If the player or the GMs can decide whether or not to cut off a leg or decapitate an opponent, and then you just roll the hit, you're no longer playing D&D. It might be an awesome game. 
I would contend it would be. Um, but assuming there's a huge level of trust between all the players, we'd be eliminating all the mechanics surrounding doing extra damage and the trade-offs between AC and damage, stealth, and blah, blah, blah. Even Fate, an excellent game in my opinion, with excellent opportunities for free-form combat effects, basically has hit points. Don't tell anybody I said that. In the end, I think players in general should be allowed the option to metagame when it comes to deciding if their PCs live or die. Um, some players will still decide that the PC would fight a particular battle to the death or would run after getting scratched, which should be the player's choice, especially in an era when we are putting more information in the player's hands, like open die rolls and such, and trusting they will make a great story. It seems like a return to the mysteries of the Gygaxian era to hide this information from players. Cheers, Edwin. You know, Edwin, that's a very good point. Um, something you said there about the, the meta component of it and players having the ability to choose. I think <clears throat> that goes back to, oh, what was, I think it would have been James mentioned it. You know, the idea of if you actually role played that crazy guy who's like, look, I only got two hit points left, but I'm going to stick it out so that the rest of you can escape or, you know, whatever you do. As the game master, it might be like, look, here's some inspiration for you, man. That's awesome. I'm, you know, you're doing a really cool thing. You're standing there in the face of, so you're still rewarding people for doing for basically disregarding, if you will, the meta or using the meta to make it a role playing type of thing. So, ah, uh, all right, Edwin and everybody else who thought I was crazy. I see your point. I may well be crazy, at least when it comes to uh, adding or hacking D and D to make it work like that. So, fine. I'm wrong, and Sean is kind of right, but he never really stood strong, so we can't tell. Well, and that's why we did Sanity after the hidden hit points. <laughs> that's right. That's why we did it after. See, there's a theme to this whole freaking fiasco, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. All right, next. Angela Murray. This is Gnome Stew herself. Queen of the table selfies. Hey guys, finally, I'm finally getting caught up after a major podcast deficit from the holidays. One more episode from you and I'm caught up. I had to write in about hidden hit points because I agreed with Sean. What the? Holy shit. I, I'm, I'm never bringing up. I'm, I'm, never, <laughs> Dude, I'm never talking about that episode again. It's the year, man. It's my year. It's the year of the Sean. Kind of like year of the rat, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> I think legitimately it's the year of the dog, if I'm not mistaken. It could be. I, I don't know. You keep reading, I'm going to look that up. Yeah, she continues, I know. I'm as shocked as you are. Ha, ha, ha. While I get what Brett was getting at and what John Wick was trying to say in his original article, it strikes me as a little pretentious. There might be some games out there where it could work, Dungeon World, Genesis, etc. And I think Wick designed a lack of hit points in the 7th C but it would annoy me to tack, into, tack it onto something like D&D, which is often as much about tactics as it is about role-playing. Why take away one more tool the player has on hand to judge what their character is capable of? As a game master, I'd also be reluctant to apply penalties, like taking away their AC. I could see times when it might fit the narrative based on what the player says the character is doing, but I wouldn't want to apply that to the character based solely on my roles as GM. Of course, I don't really care about realism in my games. I want cinematic epic action. I don't necessarily go for an over-the-top tone, but I don't want them to avoid doing the dramatic, cool, cinematic things because they're too afraid any action is going to get them killed. 
I also don't want to add that record keeping to my job as the GM. I think, though, you can get what you want out of hidden hit points by bringing more cinematic descriptions into your narration as a GM and by encouraging the players to do the same. Describe the dis, uh, desperate situation the characters are in or how brutal their opponent is, but hiding hit points just seems unnecessary and kind of counter to what D&D is. With the right GM, which I know Brett would be, I'd probably be willing to give it a try, but I would definitely go into it very skeptical. Thanks again for being an awesome, as awesome as always, Ange. Well, thank you. It was very nice of you. I think, I think the, yeah, if nothing else, I think it was, that's been a piece in my head that's been rattling around for a number of years, ever since I read the article ages back. I thought, you know what, it's worth bringing up. And I think what I'm getting from here is, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was like a neat concept, but sit down and shut up. <laughs> <laughs> or it needs to be its own system, right? I mean, if you're going to do that is such a drastic radical shift from a game like D&D, and I think I can't remember which one of our listeners just said it at the beginning here, but it's kind of the where it's the, you know, in my opinion, there's a sweet spot, you know, don't change too much too far too fast. And I think that's a fair point. I think that there is a um <clears throat> I think that's kind of Sean where, where you smack me down periodically. He's like, look, you can change it to a point, dude, but you know, and, and it is a bit of feel and art, if you will, as to how far any group would be willing to take it. But hearing what I've heard here, there are enough people like, dude, that's, that's so far from D and D you're not going to have any luck with that. All right. Point well taken folks. <laughs> if I'm going to do that, it's gotta be something else. And that, which is legit. It totally makes sense. doesn't mean the idea is dead. It just means it has to find a new home. So fine. You Brett's win. radical. Fine, you all win. I don't want to talk to you anymore about this. Let's do something else. Brett, you gotta you gotta bring up shit like this so you can spur this conversation. If it was like, <laughs> hey, hit points are really great. Everybody gets hit, you subtract them, it's a really awesome system. Nobody would write into that shit. Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> very you true. gotta you gotta uh, Gotta be on the edge, man. Brett's gonna take the role of the crazy radical <laughs> gamer dude this year. I'm going to be the... <laughs> it is It is you're the dog for what I can tell, too, by the way. Yeah, see, man. All right. Shall we move on? Thank you, everyone, we for right now. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. All righty, Brett. What are we talking about this week? Well, <laughs> I'm thinking about adversarial GMing, man. As I hinted to earlier, like last episode and earlier this episode while I was reading, Jared Rasher brought it up on his comments <clears throat> um, in our last random encounter we had last episode. And I thought, you know, I know other people have talked about this. Other people have dished about it. And I think this is one of those cases where a definition is really in order. Because when you hear it, for example, for whatever reason, every time I've heard the term alpha gamer, what that meant to me and to my gaming friends was that's the man or woman in your group who knows more about gaming, um, spends a lot of time listening to podcasts, reading all the, all the latest news articles, buys the latest book, knows a whole bunch of stuff, and is pimping the coolest, newest thing to the rest of the group. That was our thought for Alpha Gamer. However, after I talked to Victor Wyatt and a number of other people at Origins, I mentioned that, and Victor's like, oh, that's a terrible word. I hate those guys. I'm like, what? This is what I mean. He goes, well, actually, Brett... Um, that term usually means 
you know, someone who's a complete douchebag who, uh, you know, is that guy at the gaming table or lady at the gaming table who is telling you how to play um, Pandemic and telling you how to take your move and telling you what you need to do. And they're basically controlling the table. I'm like, holy shit, that's not the, that's not what I meant at all. I better find myself a new term. So when it comes to adversarial GMing, I thought, let's uh, let's dig into it a bit. So we already got some preemptive strikes, I think, from people giving us their piece. So, Sean, what do we what do we got there? Well, so old school DM certainly has an opinion on adversarial game mastering. Absolutely. We'll have a link in the show notes to Mr. Randy Farmer about that specifically cuz he is it's it's not it's not like 20 pages, but it is uh It's a lengthy post. It's a lengthy post to the point. I think it is it under the misdirected mark G plus guys or did he just yeah, it basically, so I'll, I'll allude to this is also in the um, in part of my die roll. I'll just throw it out there now. Down with the Indeed did an episode on this awesome. in their in their shorter form, and he was responding in that space as well. So he was like, like all of our listeners, we cross on the Venn diagram of misdirected Mark folks and ours is very overlappy. Right. So he went, hey, just so you know, instead of regurgitating all this stuff I said, I already said a whole bunch of stuff. There's a link. Boom. So that was pretty cool. And then Andy did write in. He He didn't want – he felt that we, we didn't have to, like, read his email out on the air, but he brought up a few points um, that I think he wanted us to tackle, and hopefully we will, because I don't want to go through each one of his specifically necessarily. Um, well, I think the main thing Andy brought up, I read the email this morning yeah. and again before the show, is can you guys clarify what you mean by adversarial GM? Can you attempt right. to define what you mean by that? That's, that's just a theme. It's the, <laughs> the concept of what is adversarial, and um, I think that's the that's the thing to hack through here. And the answer to that is no, we cannot. <laughs> <laughs> and we won't even try it. And next show will be... Yep, we're not going to define it. We're just going to talk. <laughs> we're just going to complain about it. And then, we'll, right. then we won't define a thing, and I'll get angry emails about... That's right. About so adversarial GMing sucks, but sometimes it's good. And so there, what that's you, where we stand. What do you think about it, Sean? Well, it depends, Brett. Yeah, it depends. <laughs> So, Sean, if um, if someone – I have never heard advers- the term adversarial GM brought up in a good context. Um, so let let me ask you, when you hear the term adversarial GM, what do you honestly think? Do you think, oh, I want to play with that guy? Or, oh, God, that's a – oh, she's an adversarial GM. Screw that. I'm not gaming with her. Or what does it – what does it mean to you when you hear that? I, th- I think it's one that uh... – I think it's when a game master is doing things that it, it borderlines on the railroad, but it's not. Is your gut reaction that's good or bad? Adversarial. Well, gaming. it's negative. It's, it's negative. negative. Okay, keep well, going. Well, adversarial, be, being adversarial, I think in general has a negative connotation to it. Very true. So therefore, it is not. It is not positive. Because <laughs> it's, it's negative. Because it's, it's negative. It's not, it's not positive. Wow, we are, man, we, we are smashing atoms over here, dude, all day long. Whoa, where's that chisel? Okay, yep. yeah, gonna go over to SpaceX, man, any day now. <laughs> start, you know, doing physics and theory. Would you play with an adversarial GM? Well, I, I guess it. <laughs> hey, yeah, hey, I got him. It, I got him. It, 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 it may. <laughs> It may depend. I, I would not. Perp- I mean, if they ran a game 
And they came across to me as adversarial, which we still have not defined yet. Then I would probably play it and see if it is a tolerable tolerable game for me. Okay. Because I may, I mean, it may not be a big deal to me. Then it may be I'm against the game master. So I I had um, a buddy of mine used to game with ages back, John. Uh, When he would run, he told you flat out, you're here to beat me. If you can beat me, you can. That was his approach. He would tell you that there was some role-playing opportunities all the time, blah, blah, blah. But he also would tell you in the same in the same breath, that if you walked into a room and your 20th level characters, 15th level characters, crazy-ass level first edition, second edition characters, walked into this room and there was a gnome with a purple cloak holding a staff and wearing you know shoes and a hat and, and soft leather, that gnome could kick the living fuck out of the entire party if you weren't careful. Everything in the dungeon was there to kill you. <clears throat> there was nothing. I mean, you could role play to a point until the initiative die landed, and that was that was usually about that long. Everything in everything he built and did was there to fucking kill you. We actually liked it <laughs> because it was like this crazy ass palate cleanser to see if you could figure out a way to bendfold, spindle, and mutilate your way through whatever shit he threw at you. It wasn't one of those things where we wanted to play that way all the time, but periodically we would be like, yeah, all right, so you're you're against us. You're actively, purposefully fighting is mean and dirty and hiding, and you know, it'd be one of those things where you walk into the room and then the dragon jumps out. I'm like, what dragon? Well, you never looked behind you. What? Of course I would. How would I not know? Str- you never said you looked behind you. Oh, fine. The dragon jumps you. I shit you not, that's the type of thing that would happen. <laughs> and for whatever reason, maybe because we were younger and stupid, that was fun from time to time. And uh, I think it can be if you decide, if you know what it is going in and you say, you know what? I know her. She's not full of shit. She's totally going to try to kill us. Okay, we're in. Let's see if we can survive. It becomes this weird badge of honor. However, that's not how I normally like to game. What is it? <laughs> Sean's giving me the that's crazy look. Have you ever gamed with a game master like that? Who was like they're they're gonna fucking murder you. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna pull punt they're going to, you know, hold secrets, keep data, all that stuff. I I I don't think I played with one that was purposely uh as upfront about it. Oh, that's the best kind, right? Is when they're sneaky well, about it. Well, and I think they're sneaky, but I think over time with some iterations of some games that there kind of became a sense of us versus the person. I don't I don't know. Not not everybody, but you know there's there's games that like hey, you cheer for the players, you're on their side, you're going to make you know, you're a referee. You're going to make rulings. Not in, you know, not look up rules all day, but rulings over rules. But that being a fan of the players thing, right? Where you being a fan of the players, right? Yeah. I believe that if we were to define adversarial jamming as most people, whenever I hear it, they go, ah, adversarial jam, they spit. You know, as soon as they say it, I think the definition is somebody who is 
playing, uh, you are all against me. You're trying to win Dungeons and Dragons. You're trying to win whatever the game is. It is a, I'm going to do all the things I just described that my buddy used to do. Hide data, um, keep secrets, not inform you of stuff unless you ask it just the right way. Um, everything in the dungeon is trying to kill you or lie to you or whatever. It's just you do not feel that you can trust anything the Game Master is doing. If he if he's rolling dice behind the screen, it's a trap. If he's if he's rolling dice in the open, he's got secret dice somewhere else. He's adding crazy modifiers. He's going to kill us. There's nothing we can do about it. You feel like you're in the Tomb of Horrors all the time. <laughs> <laughs> is that a fair? Is that how you define it? I would define it as I think that's the con- context, right? Give me an example. And I think those would be perfectly good examples. And I think that it does become it. It becomes a focus of the right. Yeah, like you said, Brett. It's me against them. This is the deal. I'm going to throw everything at you. You have to overcome them. And I'm just. But the problem is, I think there's like a level of distrust in that, and it's not. I don't know, man. This is kind of weird because I started reading Randy's shit, and I'm like, God damn it, he's got he's polluted my brain now. Well, even if you look at you, you read Andy's and what <clears throat> Andy Hall, what he emailed to us, and what Randy had put out there, the old school DM. So there's this <clears throat> there's a thing where if you're running a module as written, like in the OSR style, and even older, when I say OSR, I would actually has hazard before that, before OSR was a thing, back when you picked up the Isle of the Ape or uh, whatever, Morden Cannon's fantastical, Fantastic Adventure or whatever you're you're running from, from TSR back in the day. You're running it as written. You know, the module well, is, <laughs> you, you read White Plume Mountain, and uh, one of my favorite things in there is if you, there's instant super tetanus. That's a fucking thing, and you die. There, save or die, you know. When that's a thing, there is a monster in the Fiend Folio, I believe, called the Gold Bug. It looks like a gold coin. It sleeps in gold coins, and uh, you pick them up, and then there's a chance that when you pick it up, you grab it, and as soon as you grab it, it wakes up and stings you, and then it is save or die. You immediately fucking die from this stupid little bug. This is shit that happens. Um, throat leeches. Uh, had a game master in high school. used to put them in potions of healing that you would find, which is always fun. Ear seekers, rot grubs. These creatures that were specifically designed to just destroy you. And the adventure was built in such a way that you felt when you were done with it, at least when I was a kid, that you actually survived. You know, you, you felt you beat the thing. If you get out of the Tomb of Horrors alive with the same character you went in on, you won. You felt like you had a win under your belt. And I think <clears throat> some people took that too far, but I think the feeling is that OSR games are not meant to be run, at least in my opinion, in an adversarial mode. You're not trying to be the dickhead who's going out to kill you. You're not there to lie to the players and and um, push them hard. Excuse me, and just you know, them against me. You tend to have a disregard for hit point problems. Look, it's you're metagaming, right? You see the hit points in your character sheet. You're fighting an ogre. You stood your ground. Your first level characters. You know it's an ogre. Three out of four of you just died by the ogre. Sorry, TPK, you're all dead. You know, next round. 
Oh, I didn't know it would kill us. You should have run away. Well, how come you didn't warn me that the ogres are so tough? Sorry, that's how you learn. Moving on. That is that mentality, <laughs> right? Of Brett, unbalanced Brett, encounters makes people. You're that guy, Brett. Sometimes. You are though. You don't believe in like balanced encounters. No, I don't believe in balanced encounters. But I also, I also don't believe in f- making the players deter find out that it's not safe for them by getting murdered, right? So an okay. unbalanced encounter, the four characters in uh, first level encounter ogre. The ogre is incredibly tough. Players get it, players get initiative. They hit it. They hit it hard. It doesn't even care. You describe it. They're like, holy shit. Hits the first character if they choose to stick around. <clears throat> or he kills an NPC outright in front of them. Like, okay, this is too strong. There's examples of the power. Somebody, you know, somebody's smart in the group, whatever. There's options for them to figure it out. And I usually push them in some way through narrative to say, look, this thing will probably murder the fuck out of all y'all if you don't figure out what you're going to do. You choose to stand and fight, that's your problem. But, you know, I give them a fair warning that's going to happen. <laughs> so some people may call that adversarial. I just I'm, I don't see right. it as I don't see it as adversarial because I am not purposely trying to murder the characters. It's supposed to be an entertaining something or other. You know what the reason it's happening. I I, I come up with a ton of different reasons. Like the ogre has information. <clears throat> you could talk to it. You could do all sorts of different things to get past it. Blah blah blah. You don't have to fight everything you find. Um, oh, that's that's a good point, Brett. So I think I don't. How? But what's the traits of an adversarial GM? Well, that's a good question. I think the traits of the adversarial GM. Um, <laughs> it sounds funny, but it's like actually real honest to God glee when you destroy the characters. Like, ha! I got you. Okay, right? so there's finding, a finding joy in the destruction of a player character. Yeah. I, I've seen I've gamed with game masters. I find that I find that appealing. <laughs> I find that it, I find that relaxing, Brett. Apparently, I am an adversarial GM. No, I don't find it enjoyable. I don't want to kill the player characters. I certainly want to make it tough and and. But I was reading John Wick, man. That guy is, he's got so you know. If you haven't read it, go read the play dirty. John, yeah, play dirty. It's it's well worth it. And sometimes you know I kind of liked it, his mentality where it's like somebody's gonna play in my game. I'm gonna have a reputation as the killer killer GM, and that's the way I'm gonna roll. And when people come out on the other end, they're gonna think they're that much cooler, badder. Yep. They they they've got a sense of accomplishment and pride. Yeah, good for them. I don't know. Uh, but so it's kind of fun because he's like, you know, that's what he was known for. Yeah. In the book, he talks about it. <clears throat> and he did a similar thing. He did the same type of thing that I did when I ran my first vampire campaign is I never killed anybody. I just tortured them. It was a game about gothic <laughs> horror and losing humanity and stuff. So I just made their characters freaking miserable. And some people would see that as adversarial. Like, <clears throat> you're coming after me. You're constantly taking away the things I love. And I'd be like, oh, that's the name of the game, people. That's what it says here. So you try to, you know, tell people up front. I think, so to your earlier question, though, of what are the traits, I think one of the traits is no fair warning, right? Okay. If you tell somebody up front, if you're a Tim Cask and you don't bother to tell everybody that you're going to murder the fuck out of them if they don't if they don't play well. I mean, so, Tim's well known for being, you know, TPK, you know, uh, the groups constantly. And if you don't, 
if you don't bother to explain yourself, hey, this is how I game master and this is how I like to run. If that's not what you want to do, well, no harm, no foul. That's fine. But, you know, this is how I'm going to play tonight. I think it's kind of that almost lying in wait and um, then pouncing and crushing thing. And I think the idea of it kind of it almost being it's it's you against me. And that's how you approach everything, is you're actually there to beat the players, and they're trying to beat you as if it's some competition. If you treat an RPG as a competition, that is weird to me, and that is the mark of the adversarial GM, which is the negative connotation of it to me. You don't think so. You don't agree. What do you think? Well, how, well, no. how would you mark one? How would you say, hey, that's, that, that, that dude's adversarial, or she's crazily adversarial. We'll never play with her. Well, I do think that what you say does have merit, right? Of course it does. I said it. Well, I haven't <laughs> always agreed with your... I know, I know. And and so I think that um, there is an element of us versus them, or I'm out to get them, I'm out to kill them. I think one of the bigger ones is... Um, Never, you know, not ruling in the favor of the players much. So you could still play rulings, not rules, and still be kind of a dickhead about it. Oh yeah, right. So that may be a, an element of it. Um, I think the lack of trust probably plays a role in that, and maybe it's just that's the way it is. Um, you come out and say, "Look, here's the deal. I'm going to throw everything I have at you. Deal with it. That's the game on the run." I think the expectations, given that are fine. Players can say, well, I like that or I don't like it. Uh, but I also think that you can probably do that and still trust the game master to be fair. Be fair, right? If you're going to throw a big monster at the players and they choose to engage it, kind of like Brett Brett's scenario, where they could have just went up and spoke to it or tried to negotiate it, whose, whose problem is that? So I think Part of that also goes to not allowing a lot of players' choice. So it goes back to a little bit of railroading. No, you you but, were saying that at the beginning, and I think you're right. right. I think you're absolutely right. So in, in that respect, it's like this. When everything – so when you are a player and you're like, oh, okay, Brett, Brett's game, got it. All right, it's an ogre. We don't have to kill it all the time. Um, it will negotiate. And every time you try to negotiate or try to do something other than get your – noggin smashed but you always get your noggin smashed that would probably be an issue and a indicator of an adversarial gm and so the other time too is that the the railroad is <clears throat> i think yeah i'm stuttering here but so you're supposed to go using your fantasy traditional fantasy game you're supposed to go fight the big monster at the end you go everything seems to be going fine you meet the big monster it fucking destroys the party then the game master is like, well, you know, you guys never found the, the magic potions and the sort of badass monster killing. Well, I didn't even know there was one. Well, you never bothered to talk to the sage, so of course you didn't find out. No hints, no anything. There's just, what do you do? I go talk to a blacksmith. I talk to the innkeeper. I talk to the stable boy. Okay, I think we got enough information. Let's go. And then they get slaughtered. So some people would say, well, that's the, you know, the quantum ogre thing. If you don't talk to the right person, you don't get the right intel, sometimes that happens. But I really think, I mean, that is a railroady feel to me. But I really think it's the, if you don't set the stage up front, 
right? If like, look, this is how I play, or this is the type of game I'm going to run. If you don't bother to do that, and then you just do that to people, you know, that's it's kind of it's it's more it, that's just being a dick, I guess, more than being adversarial. <laughs> but you know, I think they, I think one is of the other. One is of the other. It may yeah. not always be connected to, vice versa, but yeah. I think you're right. The limited choice, like, look, you've got, you could either talk to the ogre by using these six words in parlay, or he tries to smash your brains in. And if you didn't happen to talk to the right person to find one of those six words, where I guess we'd get your brain smashed in your PCs. So, but I think the overall is that it's got a railroad type feel to it, and it is all about winning. And the game master is there to win just as much as the players are. Right, and I would also go as far to say that if you are not you are not a yes and GM, you're not a uh, yes but GM, but you're a no hell no GM. Well, yes or all, it's either it's black or white. It's a yes or no. Can I do this? Yes. No. 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 Yes. Yes. You know, and that, that's there's a level of creativity. Sometimes it doesn't get u- utilized. You know that you just you don't feel like anything you're doing could work. <laughs> you try to be a little creative. DM, nope, sorry, that doesn't work. Instant super tetanus. You're fucked. Well, that's uh, that's also a module pre-published module. Oh yeah, yeah. And so one would say, well, that's 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 written. I'm conveying the module. Again, you could if you read it as written and you choose. It's been a while since I've read it. I just. It was, and maybe I purposely, maybe even I ran it adversarial like. I don't even remember it right now. It was just, it was a lot of fun when I did it. But I think some of those old modules were kind of written with that approach. That's true. I, Back, yeah. Especially when you have tournament modules, which I still think is odd to me. Having D and D tournaments just is weird to me. I don't understand the idea of winning at D and D. Feels weird. <clears throat> But I mean, when you when you read them, you're like, "Wow, this is really written." Like, if the players don't know what they're doing, they're fucked. Um, okay, well, I guess good luck getting through the giants. You know, the hill studying. You know, the uh, the, the studying of the hill giant chieftain. Good luck with that. And then crush, crush, crush. Well, well, they're fucked. And I think a lot of the people who had more fun playing D anD D over the years were the ones who were playing with game masters who allowed them to be creative and find different ways and didn't railroad them. And some people will say, well, they you're taking it easy on the players, right? You're giving them too many outs. You're balancing things just right. And if they got into too much trouble, you always had a safety net for them or whatever. And uh, I don't I, – I don't know. I, I guess I just – I don't like kind of the capricious – the capricious I'm here to beat you. And that's the other piece that comes into the adversarial game master component – it's like, well, why is that? Well, I'm the game master. What I say goes. I've heard that a couple times from people over the years. I'm the game master. I'm in charge. I can do whatever I want. When you hear those words, that usually indicates you've got yourself an asshole who um, is also happens to be an adversarial game master who isn't going to bother to explain to you why he or she likes to run that way. They're just going to be an asshole about it the whole way through. I think... How would I do this? I mean, is there... 
is there a time or a place to be adversarial? And I think possibly, but it would have to be, as previous discussed, like described as such. Like, look, I'm going to run this module as it's written, and it's fucking murder. Good luck getting through the two mores, guys, because it's, it's freaking bad. I'm going to run it as it is. We'll see who survives. Yeah, we're in, says everybody. Great. They're all murdered after the first two rooms. Oh, well, we tried. Next. That can be a hell of a good night. But if you don't bother to explain that stuff and you just kind of lie in wait like some sort of, uh, you know, Venus flytrap to eat the player, eat the characters, that's not much fun. I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I have never played with an adversarial GM who acted like that. When I was surprised with it is when I always got mad or frustrated as a player. When John told us flat out that's what he was going to do, we're like, all right, I knew it was dangerous when I signed up, so in we go. But whenever I felt surprised by it, and you just felt like it doesn't matter anymore, and there's nothing we can do, and we forgot to buy pythons in town, and we didn't bring enough torches because I didn't fucking know that he tracked food. We're six weeks into the dungeon. He's like, oh, sorry, everyone, everyone subtract D10 hit points. Why? We're starving to death. You didn't bring enough food. You didn't tell me you are sleeping. You didn't tell me you are eating when you were sleeping. Oh, for fuck's sake. If you don't see it, <laughs> you ever have a guy like that? I had that. I had a dude in high school who did that in a dungeon. We sleep, we're resting, and we were always very nonchalant with our food and water resources and stuff. Just if you had it written down, you had water. We assumed you always had water for whatever reason. And uh, he'd roll dice. You lose five hit points. You lose. Well, why? You don't know. You have no idea. If you can't figure it out, it's not my problem. You sleep another night, everyone loses three more hit points. Like, what the fuck is going on? I feel like, <sighs> you're starving. No one's bothered to eat for the last seven days. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's really dumb because as a GM, you sometimes you have to tell the player character how they feel in that respect. Like, I'm not going to starve to death without knowing I'm freaking hungry. <laughs> You'd like to think so. And I think well, that, you know. And I think that's because the game master is the eyes and ears, eyes, ears, all senses. For the players. Right. You know, I'm telling you what your character, which is where we talked about sanity. Like, hey, messing with people going, no, the fire feels fine. Everything's cool. You don't see any damage. Everyone else sees your fingers melting. Um, oh, my God, sanity. Uh, you know, we understand why it's there. <clears throat> but if I don't bother to explain that to you, those have been, those are just some of my experiences with adversarial GMing. It's always been a very much him, and they were always male game masters at the time, but him against us. That's how it felt. Have you had that? Have you had any of those, Sean? Do you have any stories, Sean? I'm, I'm bogarting the story. Well, I have, but it's it's usually tongue in cheek. It's kind of a little it's a little funny, a little humorous. Where you you know, dust my buddy Dustin would always kind of snicker and oh, you got my guy, you know, you know. But he was never really he was never pissed that he we would smash his big bad or or what the case was and. Um, he genuinely felt bad when, I mean, he liked putting the big smack down, yep. but you know, killing a character, he didn't, he didn't want that to happen necessarily. And then when it did, he, he'd try to justify it himself. Actually, he'd be like, look, you know, um, it wasn't me, you know, you guys could have ran, you guys could have healed. I don't know what you guys were doing. There was this, you didn't even see it. And it wasn't where it was. Well, there was a lever. You never saw the lever. I mean, it would be you saw the lever, blah blah blah. But you chose you to do, do nothing with it. Yeah, you chose to do nothing with it. So, I mean, he he's a. I got to give Dustin a lot of credit. He he DM'd us for a long time, and you know, doing that, I think over time, you kind of get a little bit. 
some game masters, I mean, they do like to have a little bit of an edge sometimes. I mean, they like to have a win on their own side every once in a while. Well, I'll tell you, one of the things I found that's fun is the is kind of tongue-in-cheek snickering is when I run games for kids, one of the things I really like to do is when they kill my bad guy, I go, oh, you got him. I go, ha, I got you. And the kid's like, oh, no, he hit me. And it's it's in fun. And when they kill my bad guys, I'm like, oh, I act, you know. It's it's all acting. I don't fucking care. <laughs> they kill them. They're fine. They're winning. They're having fun. I even do it with my home gaming group, and they'll come after my bad guy. And if I'm, if you're basically playing the role of the character, you're playing the role of the person who wants the bad guys to win. I personally don't care, or I don't necessarily want them to win. But adding that little bit of a kind of tongue in cheek, everybody knows, nod, wink, elbow, that it's not really true that Brett wants the bugbears to slaughter the the party, but he's acting like. Oh, you killed another one. God damn, how many bugbears can you kill in one night? Jesus Christ. You know, saying those things, it gets, and then the, it amps up. The group is like, oh, yeah, we're kicking ass. Look at that. He's getting upset. Oh, that's good. Ah, oh, we got Brett on We got him on the ropes. It's fun. And everyone knows that it doesn't, that's not the point. I, not, not the point, excuse me. That's not really an adversarial environment. It's mockingly adversarial or tongue in cheek adversarial. It's not real. Um, the goal isn't to go out and, you know, just destroy the party because I can or I think I've got some weird bloodthirst that I have to have. So you've never really had anybody like I have over the years where even high school stuff where they just actively try to murder you? I'm trying to I'm, – I'm really trying to think of a particular instance where it was them trying to really – being adversarial, I guess, in the definition of this episode, even though I don't know. I don't. So let's take let's take let's take uh, a game you and I played with uh, Frank Mensner and uh, Alex ages back. Oh boy, it was railroady, and that it, that it was, and it could be seen as adversarial. Yeah, I suppose it could have, but he wasn't throwing us anything that would have. I mean, it didn't kill us. We weren't facing anything that imminent danger, I guess. The thing about it, and just from a historical perspective, this is unfortunately pre-Frank doing what Frank did. And whatever, we're not going to get into that right now. <laughs> but the point is that particular adventure, they're, they're, so what I'm getting at is from an adversarial piece, it's, it's and when I talked about lying, this is why it brought it up to me. It isn't necessarily lying, um, but it's like if you don't ask me the right questions, I will not give you any hints or clues. Right. So we went from one room to another. You can never go backwards. You can only go forwards. This random assortment of how we moved, and there were no clues. There were no clues about what was really going on or how we could figure out what was going on. Now, at the end, when he tells us the secret, we're like, oh, God, it's glaringly obvious. But at the time, it was I have, I was getting frustrated myself because I'm like, what the fuck is what? What? Are you kidding me? You know, I don't feel I can get anywhere. I don't feel I can do anything that matters because everything we're trying to do <coughs> is not getting us anywhere. I think that's another level, in my opinion, of adversarial. Some... Game masters, they may not have, and you know, let's just throw Frank out of it for a second. I have played with other people who enjoy trying to run mysteries or investigative games, and they enjoy being so goddamn obfuscated in their plots, plans, and hints and such 
when the players are sitting there and we're banging our heads in a wall, we're like, we do not know what to do. We have no idea. We have our up to our eyeballs and clues. We've rolled every skill check we can. We've asked every question we can think of. We have nothing. Fuck it, let's just pack it up and go home. I, I don't know what to do. Our character, none of us, there's six of us at the table. We have no idea what to do. And the game master is just sitting back going, well, I, I don't know. Maybe you guys need to go look at something else. Maybe you need to do something. I don't know. And there's no, there's no GM fiat of any kind or even a reminder that, hey, you're missing something. I know that it's oftentimes when we say adversarial GM, we always think about the bloodthirsty person who's just murdering characters type of thing. But I think sometimes it's the lying or withholding of data or at, or not saying, well, you're close. Maybe you're not investigating. Maybe you're searching. Oh, shit, I forgot to search check. All right, I do a search check in the room. There you go. Easy done. You know, without... And some people would call that, you know, just wussing out. No, you shouldn't do that. The players are fucked. They're fucked. That's just how it goes. But that's a type of adversarial jamming, in my opinion. I think it's one of those situations where you know it when you see it. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> you might not be able to put your finger on it. You might think the person's a complete asshole, which is probably... Which could be a, a totally trait. different problem. <laughs> which could be, yes, it could be another problem. They could be an asshole for a different reason. But and I think it's one of those situations where yeah you think I I think I know it when I see it or experience it, and I do think that there is a somebody's going to say well I run you know Brett like you said your friend John did I tell everybody up front blah 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 and then hey I'm you got to beat me and you're here to try to beat your way through the adventure I think that's fine that's a legitimate way to play and that's totally fine however if you don't bother to tell anybody that right. If your players sit down, you don't bother to explain to them in any kind of sessions here or preamble or anything that says, hey, guess what? I'm going to, you know, murder the fuck out of you. It's, you know, either win or you die type of thing. You know, you're here to beat me or I'm here to beat you. Unless that is very cut and dried, that is where the animosity and the bad feelings and all that stuff comes in. It's when it's like a weird secret agenda. And then when people complain about it, then the adversarial game master at the end of it or some way through usually gets really pissed off. Cross the arms. Well, that's just how I run. I mean, I'm just totally by the rules. I don't understand what your problem is. Jeez. Oh my, I mean, just freaking figure it out. Blah, blah, blah. You know, you, you can run into those things. And instead of being a decent person and saying, Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I should have told you this, is how I run the game. Um, all right. You want to start over? You want to do something different? You know, there's, there's ways to be a decent person, <laughs> come back out of it. And I think the asshole component goes a long way with, um, you know, when you're called out for being, for, you know, acting in an adversarial manner that perhaps the group is not ready or wanting to do, and you don't want to do anything to help with that. That's when, uh, the adversarial GM becomes the asshole game master. That becomes a bigger problem. What? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Okay. I'm with you. So if some, would you, when you run, Sean, do you see yourself? Are you an adversarial game master, Sean? Are you really? <laughs> I, I mean, you, I you're a railroady motherfucker, but are you an adversarial guy? I I hope not. I don't I don't think so. Brett, you've played in one of my games. I've uh, seen like that. No, you don't. No, you don't at all. I do. I do love me some some train though. Oh yeah. Well, I think. 
So, uh, we don't do. We may or may not have done a hardcore actual definition here, but I think the idea is that the adversarial game master. Again, Sean, I do think you're right that you kind of know it when you see it. Some of it has a it depends perspective insofar as like if you like it or don't. If it's a thing that doesn't bother you, that's fine. But the general definition is that if you're out to get, if you're um, basically if it's a me against them. Game, players against the uh, the game master. If you're actually trying to win D and you'll you'll see the memes out there. I won at Dungeons and Dragons. The goofiness. If you're actually trying to win, right, and there is pleasure, joy, sense of accomplishment in beating the players, and you expect the players to then have that same sense of joy and accomplishment at beating you, that is an adversarial game master. And if everybody agrees that that's the way to go, and both sides can be good losers. Good on you. I've often found, though, in most cases, that one or both sides are not good losers in those situations, and it does not go over very well. So, anyway, you got anything else on that one, John? No, I don't think so, Brett. Cool. I'll be interested to see what other people say, and um, I'm positive we uh, probably didn't totally answer Andy's questions or <laughs> or even Jared Rasher's questions. Maybe we did. If we missed something, which I'm positive we probably did at least a piece here and there uh let us know we can always revisit and come back with a finer point if we need to and if you've got your own definition or your own perspective after you listen to this and then read uh read a couple other bits and pieces out there well, let us know what you think shall we move on yeah let's get the die roll die roll all right Brett's got some this week. So the one I mentioned earlier is I've got a link here to the Down With D&D episode of Adversarial GMing. I will admit I have not had a chance to read that one, but thank you to the old school DM, Mr. Farmer, for uh, helping uh, point that one out to me. I'll go and give that one a listen. I completely missed that was an actual episode. I will give it a listen. Uh, but the in sad news, artist William O'Connor, from what I've seen in multiple locations, has died. Um he was a lot of really cool stuff. Like I was born in 70 and died this year. So holy crap, that's way too young. Way, 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 way too young to die. But uh, Mr. O'Connor did a lot of work that if you go back through 4th E and a number of other things, go to his uh, go to his website, which is still up, William O'Connor. Check it out. Um, I've got a link to the, um, uh, to the obituary that's out there. So that's sad. kind of sucks. Anyway, that's all I had. Right. I, this week, listened to Dungeons and Dragons themed band, Guy Gax's The Les, Les Vivious, I think, it's, I think I spelled that wrong, Lascivious Underdark. On the Nerdist website, Benjamin Bailey posted it. <laughs> have, you, have you checked out Guy Gax's The Lascivious Underdark, I, Brad? I have not. I saw that and I'm like, I'm a little afraid. <laughs> it's kind of, is it, what do you think, Sean? Is it like tongue-in-cheek goofy or I what? No, I think it's a, it's a, they do gaming-themed songs, if I'm not mistaken, so. Hmm. Could be, could be like the great Luke Ski. I don't know. Hmm. Dr. Demento, probably with a little rocker, rocker bend to it. Okay. I don't know, man. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways, and my number two for this week, Wall Street Journal put out an article on the February of the 1st of 2018. Forget Monopoly. These board games put you on the front lines of history. 
where settlers Catan paved the way out of Candyland. Now a new strain of challenging games let you replay historic events like D-Day to the Cuban Missile Crisis. It's as, as if they forgot every fucking war game that's ever been made before this. <laughs> Sorry. There's a shit ton of war games. Oh, my God. Like, like I said, man, when 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 I, when we go mainstream, you got to give these guys a little bit of latitude. Yeah, it, does, it, takes, know. it takes them a while to catch up on 40, 50 years of history. Yeah, they're not going to remember. They weren't there. Right. They weren't there, yeah. man. That's right. Uh, listeners, I'll read the first one. My buddy George. Sometimes I call him Jorge at work. This is a guy I work with. He gave us one. Yeah, a cool homebrew stronghold rule set. Uh, I think it's specifically around D&D, 5e. Uh, link in the show notes. Brett's probably looking at it right now, aren't you, Brett? Trying to, but it tells me the link has expired, so you might have to... Check. The link is expired. Yeah, I try it, and it gives me a bad URL signature expired. I can't get to it. You'll have to check that out. Oh, I do see that myself. So oh, fix that. It's a, bad, it's a bad link, George. Maybe I pasted it in there uh, poorly. I would assume that. Yeah. Yeah, was, George probably gave me something solid. Yeah. And the last one, we do have the official link to the old school GMs uh, right up on adversarial GMing. Um, they're in the listeners portion as well. So take a look at that. I think... Uh, I think we're good, man. We are good. So, what are we talking about next week, Brett? Well, next week, I think we're going to take a crack at immersion. We've, uh, you and I have bandied about this. I know Mr. Rick and Mark took a crack at it. And, um, uh, do, 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 do. <clears throat> so, Matt asked back on our feedback. The same episode, we actually got feedback from Jared Rasher around the adversarial GMing. We're going to go at it back and uh, see if we can talk about adversarial, uh, excuse me, not adversarial, talk about immersion in RPGs. There's a number of different ways to define that. So, again, we're not always the best at definitions. We're going to take a crack at it and see what we can do. Oh, I can't wait for that one, Brad. It'll be good for you. All right. This has been another episode of Gaming and BS. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. All right. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Kevin Love, Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's biggest fan, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Vladian, Remy Billodeau, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Wayne Humfleet, James Carpio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnson, Brandon Barnes, Dan LaValle, C.W. Mellencamp, Lost Sailor, Todd McGowan, Misdirected Mark Productions, Jason, Christopher Gray, Finn Ulf, Merkel Froelich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Michael Drescher, Wistatic, Alexander Auerbach, Neil Benson, Ron Blessing, Chris Steele, Eric the Hoff Hoffman, Soldiers of Misfortune RPG, Christopher Lane, Curtis Takahashi, Mark Tasaka, Larry Hout, Ray Otis, Ron Bishop, Craig Huber, Xavier G, JV, John Hammersley, Derelict Radios, John Steve, Jared Rasher, Mark Richmond, Thomas Hook, Blake Ryan, Chad Glayman, Sky, Roger Brasslett, Evan Harrison Cass, Craig, Howard Bishop, Christian Serrano, Christian Sixty Voice Serrano, Jim Fitz, Patrick, Peter Scanis, Knights of the Night Crew, Joshua Wallace, Corey Welch, Eli Kurtz, Gordon Cranford, Andy Hall, Corey Wynn, Graham Minert. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, BSers. This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.